This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mayem. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoblet. And our topic this week is... Recent non-tech purchases that spark joys in our lives. Sweet. Uh, but first, I have some follow-up. Uh, so first, as you no doubt know by now, uh, we are doing is I'll link to the past <laughs> episode in April. It's going to be episode 159 on April 25th. That is in three episodes. If you're interested to play along with us, uh, you have a month and a half to do so so don't forget uh that is also a note for myself my technical issues have only gotten worse since the last episode uh so i have given up and i'm just going to play it on my computer on an emulator because i'm too stupid to buy batteries apparently so <laughs> i haven't played too much in the past two weeks but i think you have a lot of catch up to do on where i am in my playthrough yeah um next up i want to plug something very quickly uh recently i've been appearing on my friend bachelor's uh saturday night twitch streams so saturday nights Ooh. 9 p.m eastern it is the beautiful game at twitch tv twitch.tv slash bachelorsoft uh basically the beautiful game is when a bunch of selectbutton.net members partake in tournaments for various competitive games that we are or aren't all qualified to be competing in uh, i've been on three out of five episodes so far i've been on Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, a combination twinkle star sprite and pocket fighter episode and uh last week was pokemon showdown which i won uh so that was Ooh, fun nice and congrats thank you and uh i abused my uh, power as champion to dictate what the next game in the tournament series is going to be so by the time this episode is out uh, i will have probably have lost horribly in the sixth tournament which is going to be king of fighters 98 uh so uh if you're interested uh i'll put a link in the show notes to both uh bachelor's stream and the discussion thread where we pronounce uh these things are coming out and of course i've been retweeting all the announcement tweets uh for these uh, as they come out uh so it's a nice little thing we've been doing to have a little bit of social interaction on the weekends and it's been pretty fun so uh, definitely check it out uh and all the participants or most of the participants end up calling into the stream uh and giving their uh opinion of the game or <laughs> their hot takes on how their opponents screwed them over uh, so that's also pretty entertaining as well uh next up is the bulk of the follow-up uh, for this week which is all related to episode uh, 119, Mako number 5, where we talked about Final mm. Fantasy VII. So first of all, free stuff alert. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is available for free to PlayStation Plus users for the month of March. Uh, it is about 80 gigabytes, so you will have to uh, clear up some storage space. But at the very least, go to the uh, PlayStation Store and choose Add to Library. Uh, so you have the possibility to re-download it later if you stay a PlayStation Plus subscriber um i know this is something i need to do but i usually like do it around like the 15th every month so i am eager to install it i haven't done that yet but i need yeah quite eager to do it i've started playing it i'm about two chapters in right now Ooh. so uh it's pretty interesting i know we have talked previously about maybe at some point doing an episode uh since we played the midgar section it would be interesting to go and play the remake and give our opinions on that uh we are not planning anything officially yet but uh if you ever want but, to play along and in, in the case that we do eventually do something like that uh that is something to consider also the fact that you're mentioning that you're two, two chapters in kind of saying like hey maybe we should well i i, I don't know we'll <laughs> we'll talk about it offline but yeah we'll, we'll see uh, one thing to note though uh playstation 4 version only not eligible for the pre uh, for the free ps5 upgrade to ff7 r integrate which is what i want to talk about there were a bunch of announcements and we i briefly 
mentioned that there were announcements on the last episode, uh, but more information has come out on these announcements regarding Final Fantasy VII that I do want to sort of touch on them this week. So the first thing is Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade, which is, as I mentioned, the free PS5 patch for regular owners of Final Fantasy VII Remake. So if you have a package version or a digital version, uh, you have access to it. If you are a PlayStation Plus member with the PlayStation Plus version, you don't. Uh, This adds 60 FPS and 4K uh, modes so that you can play in high resolution or high frame rate. Uh, this is great. Uh, everybody was freaking out when they were showing the trailer for this because there were certain areas of the original FF7 remake that looked incredibly bad for various reasons, and now it looks great. Um, there are a bunch of quality of life changes. There's a new photo mode, so you can mess around and take photos of the characters in various situations. And there's a new PlayStation 5 exclusive paid DLC that is available uh, where you can play a side story as Yuffie in Midgar. Uh, and people are sort of reading into this that Yuffie is going to be playable in the second part of Final Fantasy Remake because why would you waste effort on making a playable character for a small DLC? I don't know if that's true or not, but it's interesting <laughs> speculation. So that was part one. I think people were mostly expecting this Uh no one was really shocked by this. What people were shocked by were the other two announcements. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about is Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which is a mobile game. Uh, and the way to describe this is, is it's the other Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, when we were playing the demo of Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, I sort of gave my impression that I wasn't really a fan of this gameplay style uh, that they use in the game. And I, playing more of the remake, I've sort of gotten to like it a bit more um but there are definitely some players that were just disappointed that the gameplay wasn't like a one-for-one remake of the gameplay that you found in final fantasy 7 because it wasn't a turn-based rpg anymore it was more of an action-based uh combat system with rpg elements which were in line with the more recent final fantasy games if i recall correctly yeah 15 is like that as well uh it's like a refinement on 15's battle system to some degree um, well, Ever Crisis is a direct response to that. It is an episodic remake of the Final Fantasy VII Saga as a turn-based RPG for mobile phones. And what I mean by Final Fantasy VII Saga is they are going to be remaking all of the original Final Fantasy VII and all canonical installments of the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, which was a bunch of side materials that they released like 10 years after Final Fantasy VII came out. Uh, So you're going to be able to play through Before Crisis Final Fantasy VII, which is a Japanese flip phone game. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, they are remaking the entire movie as an episodic uh, game in this. Dirge of Cerberus Final Fantasy VII, which is a PlayStation 2 third-person shooter. Uh, Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII, which is a PSP pachinko-inspired RPG, which I absolutely adore because it's fucked up as shit. Uh, (laughs) All of this is going to be remade as a turn-based RPG in episodic segments uh, as part of Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. Now, we have no idea how this is going to be monetized. It's not clear if this is going to be free-to-play to some degree or if you're going to be buying these chapters individually or whatever. But, uh... It is super interesting to see them sort of respond to people who wanted a turn-based RPG uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and sort of give them that because it's very much like we've seen video of what the Final Fantasy VII uh, chapters look like and they look very much like a a, a nicer looking version of the Final Fantasy VII PlayStation 1 game. Uh, So 
it's really cool to see this. The other thing that's cool about the compilation of Final Fantasy VII is I know from what I've seen of Seven Remake that elements of all of these four compilation uh, titles are hinted at in Final Fantasy VII Remake, where they weren't in the original because they didn't exist yet. Uh, so if you're trying to understand what something means in Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, this is going to give you the context for it. Whereas previously, maybe you'd had to watch subtitled videos of a Japanese flip phone game to understand a reference, <laughs> and that is less than ideal. Uh, so I think this is really cool. Uh, the question is just out on how are people going to be buying this or how much is it going to cost to play through all of this? But it's very interesting and I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. Yeah. For me, I think the the strange part about that is it is a mobile game and I would expect that with a lot of, I would say hype that final fantasy seven has throughout the years that it is a good, I guess, business strategy to try to monetize it, but then you make it a mobile game, which we know that you have to resort to uh, the free-to-play games strategies to monetize games these days to make a shit ton of money. So I'm eager to see what the, how they'll do it uh, versus just trying to make it on the consoles and charging a shit ton of money for buying the game. What I will say is if you go to Square Enix's App Store page right now, it's about 50-50. Uh, between games that are paid up front for a fixed mm. cost, which are mostly Final Fantasy re-releases, and then uh, the mobile games, which are the traditional free-to-play gotcha system stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really not clear, given Square's history, where this one is going to be. And I think it's interesting when you put it next to the other mobile game that was announced, which is probably definitely a free-to-play game, which is Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier, uh, which is a Final Fantasy VII Battle Royale, which I don't think anybody really thought was going to happen, but there it is. Um, it's the first Battle Royale ga- game I can think of that has magic and summons, in addition to traditional uh, weapons you can pick up and all that stuff, and I'm very interested to see how those uh, systems play out in a Battle Royale game. Uh, but if you take what I said about Square Enix's game portfolio into consideration... Uh, like there's a possibility that this is the free-to-play game and the other one is the paid-up-front game or uh, mm-hmm. microtransactions every chapter or something like that. Right, right. Uh, and th- there are other episodic uh, Final Fantasy games. I think there are two of them, Final Fantasy... Uh, I never remember the name of it. I think it's Final Fantasy Dimensions and Dimensions 2 are episodic Final Fantasy, uh, retro-style Final Fantasy games uh, that are... Uh, in a chapter-by-chapter basis where you pay per chapter. So I would not be surprised if it followed that payment structure. Um, But yeah, so that's sort of everything that came out. It was kind of overwhelming because uh, this happened in the middle of like Sony's equivalent to a Nintendo Direct where they only showed the trailer for Final Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake Intergrade. And then immediately after the trailer was over, they dumped all of the rest of the stuff on their Twitter account. Uh, and then uh, in the days after that, a bunch of magazines came out in Japan that had uh, additional interviews that were interesting uh, with regards to that. So, yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to for uh, Final Fantasy VII fans to a certain degree. It's kind of not surprising to see uh, Square Enix use it as this sort of cash cow now that we're uh, on coming up, well, we're actually past 20 years of Final Fantasy VII already. Uh so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how this uh, works out. I think both Ever Crisis and First Soldier are going to be coming out later this year. So um, we will probably mention it in follow-up when that comes out. And that's it. 
Good. So let's move to the main topic. So tonight, Yannick and I will be talking about recent non-tech purchases that sparked joys in our lives. But before we go there, I kind of want to do a small tangent on how I came to decide on um, that topic because I think it, it is uh, uh, worth discussing just for a bit. So it's funny, uh, for the past, I'd say, like, Two weeks I was trying to figure out uh, a topic for this episode on this week and I was really really struggling uh, and you could say that I had kind of a creative block trying to figure something out and I kind of like just went sound the random notes to Yannick a couple of days ago I was like hey um, I am really like out of ideas so what do you have that you could suggest and I think it is something that you wanted to do like at some point this year or like when we had maybe uh, a bit more time and less t- uh, like time-sensitive topics which we do have sometimes uh and you're like you know i have this and that and i was like yes this one <laughs> is really interesting uh it's surprise because the main reason is like and it kind of goes back a bit to what you were discussing uh or some stuff we were discussing post recording our last episode which was a these days uh while the situation is improving in the world, uh, we are struggling to find stuff that motivates us. And Yannick and I were talking about, maybe I, you don't want me happy I say that, but uh, we're talking that we work, we watch YouTube videos, we go to sleep, and we eat in between of this, and that's our lives. So uh, it was fun to kind of find something that was really sparking joy. Uh, and that's kind of also why I decided to reuse this analogy of the KonMari uh, method <laughs> for uh, the idea idea of non-tech purchases because funnily enough there are lots of things in our life that are non-tech that also we like Yannick and I. So this is a small tangent and explaining a bit of my kind of a state of mind and also saying that in the end it really uh, helped my creativity and I'm super happy this week to talk about that. And the episode will be separated in about five section uh four of which will which will be our typical like round robin where yannick and i will talk about each two things that we greatly enjoy recently and that we really love and then first uh and before all of that i would like to discuss how we shop for non-tech purchases especially for uh products and gadgets anything that is in categories that we're not nerds about or we're not like big understanding about uh and i guess a couple example that is not from my list but i i use some of those tricks is when i bought a washing machine i was like you know us and i think throughout the years you've seen on you've heard on this podcast we always want to buy the best and we want to make sure that what we buy where we spend our money really fits our needs and if you are close friends of ours or if even if you were to randomly ask us on the internet like advices about getting a phone getting a mac laptop we don't really need to do some research we'll we'll be able i say we but i think uh, I don't want to speak too much for you, Yannick, but I think for sure myself, when friends ask me which phone they want, uh, which laptop they want, especially it's a Mac laptop, it's a Windows, I'm like, eh, I don't really know the PC market these days, so <laughs> I, good luck. Actually, I have a funny story about that. Uh, my friend oh, Marina, who occasionally listens to this podcast, asked me, when was this? Uh, maybe six months ago, basically before uh, the Apple Silicon laptops were out. Like, mm. oh, which Mac laptop would you recommend to me right now? And Uh-oh. I was just like, well, n- none of them. 
Yeah, and it's the same thing when people, like some of my friends, or even like people know that I'm an iOS developer. They're like, oh, you know iPhone, so like, what do you suggest I buy? And usually my typical advice for this is the most recent iPhone you can buy, especially if you're buying on a plan. So if you don't buy outright, which is expensive, let's be honest, if you get a deal from your uh, carrier, get the, and you don't want to, let's say you're willing to pay $50 upfront, like get the most recent iPhone you can get while paying $50 upfront, or you want to pay $0 upfront and just pay your monthly contract, then get the most recent free phone that your carrier can give you is overall in the past recent years, uh, the best advice you can get. But again, this these quick takes and i don't say the quick takes because they're uh, uneducated i think it's more because we do understand the markets and as big nerds in the, in this these categories we are able to ask a couple of questions to our family and friends and find their needs quickly when we need to reflect that on ourselves uh in categories that we know less um it's an interesting process, if I can say so, because uh, a couple of things is when we make those decisions for tech product that we know and love, uh, it's easy to say, okay, like I've had multiple years of history. I know that even if I make a small mistakes because I buy, let's say, an Apple product, unless I buy a, a, a butterfly keyboard, it's not <laughs> too bad. Like I'll end up still with a good product. Or even if like... We could have talked in great length about camera tonight. Yannick even suggested we could talk yes. about cameras. And I told them, no, my wallet will cry too much. So let's not talk about that. But even then, if a friend wants to buy a DSLR and they say like, oh, I bought this Sony that was on sale. I was like, sure, like good deal these days. And so even if it's the worst one, buying a, like a mirrorless DSLR or a mirrorless camera from Sony these days, it's a safe bet. So how do you gain this knowledge in a category that you know, I would say nothing about, but less than ideal, less than you would expect? So the first thing personally I do, and then I'll ask you, Yannick, is try to find trusted sources. Because that's what we do even with Gadget. Like we would go read The Verge, Mac Rumors, Mac Stories, like a lot of places that we know we can trust. Because... I think my first advice is don't read the reviews on e-commerce websites. No. Whether, whether it's Amazon. Not. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's like any, like Amazon or even the manufacturers, because I've seen, especially recently, uh, and I have a couple of examples in my purchases, that when you go on the manufacturer's website, they also have an e-commerce. And I don't know why, but they also allow people to give reviews, thinking it's a good idea. And guess what? It is not. Uh, sometimes loyalty programs, if you're uh, signed up for a loyalty card mm -hmm. or something, incentivizes right. people to review products because they will get points towards potentially uh, rebate codes or whatever. And I am oh. guilty of doing that myself. I have reviewed products for points. Yeah, and I've even seen like people review products because they also get possibly thrown into a... Uh, um, a chance to win a, like Amazon gift card. I've also received yeah. a ton of email about that. So again, you what you've just said to could be applied to possible website dedicated to, let's say, washing machines, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but behind those trusted sources, I think is you need to find, you, you need to place a bet on somebody that you 
figure out whether it's on the web, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a friend, whether it's family, that they are a big nerd about X. So if it, they're not a big nerd, let's say about mobile devices, iPhones, Android phones, whatever, are they a big nerd about this? And to me, this is the first step because usually they're, they're, they are your gateway door to this topic. Then they'd be able to tell you, okay, go on this forum, read the these posts go on this website go read this magazine for example they'll be able to quickly give you those trusted sources if you don't have anybody like this in your closed source you can always ask randomly on the internet that kind of resorts to possibly uh, looking at review mechanisms on e-commerce websites so your mileage may vary but the sad reality is if you don't have somebody that can help you on this you have to resort on doing that manually so how do you define whether you can quote-unquote trust the source, right? And I don't want to go, tonight, I don't want to go into like big details, but I just want to go into tips and tricks more or less. And my first tips or trick is uh, sometimes to like try one. Uh, it's kind of play, place a bet on one and see if it pans out. Uh, it's maybe not the best one, but for sure sometimes you need to buy a thing and you say, hey, I want a new kettle. And you know what? I'll trust Amazon's rating system. Should have asked me. I have a great one. Uh, I Don't worry. I don't have a kettle. And I think <laughs> my kettle purchase is where I'm going to go next. Uh, because I think I've used the same exact website. It's spoiling the next part. So hear me out for a sec. So yes, what I say is when you find it, a source that is kind of giving you a lot of opinions, a lot of test data about how they tested a bunch of kettles, uh, you might just be like, okay, you know what? Like, they seem to have done a pretty good job reviewing a lot of them. So I'll just blindly say the kettle they offer is in my budget, so I'll just buy it. And you know what? After maybe doing a couple of small purchases, you see, like, oh, you know what? This becomes a reputable source because I had this need. They, I read the reviews and... They were suggesting X, and I bought X, Y, and Z uh, from different categories. I bought a kettle from X website. I was reviewing kettle. I bought a coffee machine from another website, and they were like always saying, "Oh, you should buy X and Y and Z model." And guess what? I was always happy. So you can slowly but surely building this trusted source by spending your money. So for sure, this is maybe the more costly one. But related to that is by trying one, you'll see by exploring more resources. So I'm doing more searches, like dumbly Googling, like, okay, kettle, uh, like KitchenAid kettle reviews, right? Uh, you might see a lot of them showing up from different websites, YouTube channels, and the wire cutter, which I'll come back later. Uh, even if I were going to cameras, DP reviews, like a lot of different places. And then you start to possibly see trends. A, the Kittle websites always recommend those three models. So even if I'm taking a risk, a risk with my mobile wallet, if they start to more or less recommend all the same place, the same products, there's possibly something there. Uh, the other one, my other advice is always believe that the wire cutter is right. That has been like seriously a lifesaver. And it's even becoming kind of a trend at home that I'm so used to say that to Tony that he's like, oh, I want to buy this and I know we need this. And oh, by the way, it's the recommended thing on Wirecutter. I'm like, 
perfect. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> because what I've realized with trusted sources like this one, uh, especially this one, they A, do a lot of tests, exhaustive tests, and B, uh, they are for everything and nothing from your house to your tech to, they, they do, they cover like life. And yeah. that's why I like it a lot. Uh, it seems that I've seen other websites that, okay, you want a coffee machine, like they, they specialize in coffee machines, uh, which is t- totally fine. I think wire cutter at first is a good uh, compass. Let's say you want, again, uh, I'm using Kitchen Extincts because that's going to be a theme tonight uh, <laughs> without any spoilers. But let's say, again, they, they, they suggest this schedule. Then you can go s- look at the YouTube videos of it. You can go search for the name, search for like the name and reviews and see possible forums, stuff like that. I usually stay away the most as I can about forums. Uh, <laughs> but again... Uh, the main reason okay I'll show you explain the main reason I like to stay away is because it's always a mess I, I've never been a forum person and I'm sorry I always found that it was not a well a good web product to share knowledge with each other like, it's, it's really assumed that yeah, you're a bunch of people that always look at it and then that but if you're a random person that just comes wants to get the information out of it not the best media for that I, I don't uh, disagree to be fair and I am a big forum user so <laughs> Yeah, so that's why, and you know what? For a good example, that is, you could say non-tech, but these days it is tech. But a car, there's a lot of information out yeah. of car forums, and trying to just figure it out. Even for like, I was looking for other cars, and when I say other cars, I mean like early two thousand cars I want could be wanting to buy, like find to trying to find people's experience. It's like deep down in like a hundred pages and you find the right page that Google brought to you with the right quotes. And so, like, oh. so yeah. <laughs> so take my opinion with forums with a grain of salt. They're a good source. There's a good place where you can find good information, but you need to work hard to find it. And that's why I like those review sites like Wirecutter, where they bring this up. I think in recent times, there has been like this sort of backlash to the wire cutter where like, I think one of the things that you hear a lot is like, oh, they always recommend the second most expensive one or whatever. And I think despite that, even if that is true, which I don't agree with, to be fair, uh, I still think it's a good solution for categories where you don't actually care enough about the domain to become an expert about it. You just want to buy something and be relatively assured that it won't have any significant design flaws. Like, I don't know if you have this where like, well, maybe not this year, but normally like you'd go over to someone's house and you use their scissors and their scissors don't cut. And you're like, why do you have like (laughs) six pairs of scissors in your house and none of them can cut? Why don't you buy scissors that can cut? And like, Wire cutter, you're pretty sure that if you buy scissors, they're going to cut and you're not going to cut yourself in the process. Like, th- that's pretty much what I like about it. And that's why, like, everything in my kitchen, aside from appliances, was pretty much delegated to the wire cutter when I moved. It was just like, what are the best uh, measuring spoons? I don't fucking know. I don't want to know. But uh, these people will have enough taste to choose something that is inoffensive and doesn't have any major flaws. And that's all I want for many categories of product. Hey, and I even bought huge appliances like my washer and my dryer are literally the wire uh, the wire cutter pick. 
mm. because they did the work I didn't want to do. And it's funny because, especially for this category, it's a bit like cars. They're expensive appliances. So a lot of people have a lot of information in forums because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of DIY people where they want to fix them too. So that's also where you would learn about possible issues down the road with this these appliances. The thing I'm not super fan of for uh, appliances and even to some degree like expensive electronics like televisions and all of that stuff is there's a lot of stuff that is on yearly uh, model cycles where sometimes the wire cutter doesn't keep up in time. Mm -hmm. The other thing is regional variants. Like sometimes the Canadian SKU will have a different like last three letters or whatever and you're like is this a significant difference to the one that they reviewed or not and like you have no real way of telling or you're let's say even like in europe or in japan where your available appliances are not even in the ballpark of what the wire cutter is touching and then you're like well this site sucks for me and it's like yeah you're not in the right region for it really i'm glad that you bring this up because this is tip number three um Tip number two was like, look at Wirecutter, literally. Uh, but again, Wirecutter is now owned by the New York Times, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, so it's uber US centric. And one of the main issues I've been having for years with them as a Canadian is literally what you just said. You want to buy their best thing and it's like, nope, can't do. Even if you have an Amazon CA link, they're like... No, it's a weird reseller that charged like three times the price because it yeah. knows that he came from wire quarter. So tip number three is try to find those trusted sources in your local area. And this is where this becomes a bit harder because now you need to figure out possibly if in a place where you don't speak English, uh, where are the places on the internet or sometimes some of them are not up to date. Uh, I think we have a good magazine here and people might say yes or no uh, called Protégez-vous where they, they, they do a lot of what Wirecutter is doing, but you need to buy their magazine. It's basically French-Canadian uh, consumer reports. Oh, true. That's true. I was looking for their uh, US equivalent. Uh, and you're right. It's consumer report. And again, I'm sure we go to Japan and they have their equivalent of that or their same idea behind this, uh, where they could provide you with information that is something you can found find in your country. Um, and also you'll see uh, by finding local places, uh, you might discover uh websites that you didn't know about. I think the best example I can give you is when I found... Uh, Artings, uh, R-T-I-N-G-S, mm. yeah. which is a great site to review TVs. And even this website is struggling with the SKUs because they review <laughs> specific like SKU numbers. And I was struggling with that when my brother was asking me, I want to buy a TV, but I don't want to buy yours. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, so then trying to find out, he was sending me the SKUs from Costco and then we were looking at this and like... Finding the exact SKUs, and I think manufacturer do that on purpose, by the way. Uh, but that let's not go there tonight. Uh, so that when the SKU is exactly the same thing, but they change from countries or even from like same region, but just by changing the bezels to make it a different color, mm. uh, just to fuck over those reviews, uh, sadly. So yeah, third tip, really uh, find a local source. And I think my, unless you want to add one, my fourth one is, I would say, stick with it, even if you realize that you buy something that is might be not like that you buy a 
again, let's use my Kettle example, is you buy something and it breaks like sooner rather than later. Like it breaks up after six months and you're like, what? Uh, again, those happen. Those things can happen. And that doesn't mean that your trusted source was not a good one. Um, you just need to be careful about appliances because again, general trend, a lot of what shit we buy is quite cheaply made so we can replace it more frequently. Uh, so sometimes you buy, you might more or less buy a get a lemon. And that's where I think uh, the review mechanisms on e-commerce website struggles with is because, you know what, you can buy the nicest things on the planet today and there's going to be like a $1 part in it that is super cheap and plastic and brittle and it will break and render the machine like kaput or really a small appliance kaput. And that's the sad part, but hey, that's what we're stuck with. Uh, hopefully, appliances are better at this than some are better at this than others and usually good trusted sources are good at reviewing that uh, but sometimes it's important to understand that your experience might not be the one outcome you were expecting for sure if it's every time you buy a product from this recommended trust, trusted source maybe you shouldn't trust it anymore but uh, once every like 10 products you buy there i think it's okay that's expected and would be the same ratio of saying, okay, I'll buy something. I have a budget for a toaster oven, let's say it this way, and I have $300. And you could just go randomly at Walmart and you say, okay, this is the one at $300, I'll buy it. You might have the same more or less luck with a defective product or not. And I think like to a certain degree, that's one of the places where these review sites in maybe consumer reports-ish type, uh, sources as well kind of fail is it's very hard to review a product for its overall longevity because you need to spend time with it and people generally are not interested in reviews like two years after you've bought the product they're interested in reviews when the product is current and you can still buy it like an iphone 10r review that tells you the 10r is a really solid phone and ages really really well if i put out this review today it's not really relevant to anyone anymore. It's very good information to have on hand, but for most people, it's no longer really actionable because they're not considering buying a 10R in 2021. Um, and this is kind of an issue that we've seen. Uh, I don't know if you, you're familiar with like a slash R slash buy it for life on Reddit or like the this concept of final choices. Nope. But it's... Um, it's it's more or less like people who think, oh, I never want to spend the mental energy to research X product category ever again. So I'm going to buy one that will last my entire lifetime with proper care and maintenance. And mm. you're sort of left with this trade-off of like, do I buy an expensive product X one time or do I buy a cheaper product X that I need to replace every Y years? Um, and what that kind of community has been realizing over time is... Like what I said about the iPhone XR review two years after it came out or three years after it came out, like is true for them as well. Like it's cool if you bought this pair of hiking boots three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago and you make a review of it and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah these are super uh, will last you super, super long. But that same product may have had like tens or dozens of revisions between that time. And it's hard to tell if the product you bought is still the product that's being sold on the market, mm -hmm. even if it shares the same name. Uh, so 
like that's a problem that they've been having in their like if you go check the subreddit or whatever there are a lot of threads that are like can we stop recommending things that came out 15 years ago and that i <laughs> have to buy used i'd like to buy something new and like everyone has to like chime in and say well it's hard to actually like have any opinions about the longevity of new products because they're new and yeah and like your other proxy if you want to sort of get go in that is oh we'll just buy something expensive but something can still be expensive and unreliable like you know a german car or uh, the first generation <laughs> of apple w1 headphones uh <laughs> so it's not always a good proxy they're all, all a good example of expensive but unreliable things yeah uh one more thing I sort of had to discuss related to that was um, this notion of sensible defaults. And it's kind of a, a spinoff of the final choices idea, mm-hmm. which is uh, there are certain classes of products that are realistically going to need replacements. And the idea of choosing a sensible default is to not have to reevaluate all of your available options every time you need to buy a replacement. Uh, so like normally if you go to the supermarket and you buy something on a shelf somewhere, uh, you probably aren't spending like five minutes looking at every product that there is there. Uh, generally, people either go with whatever product is cheapest slash on sale, or they have like this brand that they have a habit of buying over and over again. So they always buy the same pasta sauce. So they always buy the same frozen French fries or whatever. And like if people actually did spend five minutes to make a conscious buying decision every single time they needed like toilet paper or deodorant or whatever, like the aisles and stores would be packed full of people because it would be nonsense. Uh, So the idea of like sensible defaults in consumer culture is to take this unconscious habit that you have of always going for the same brand and making it a one-time conscious choice for more categories of goods than what you're already doing that for implicitly. So uh, some examples that you might think of are like wardrobe essentials like you're always going to need t-shirts and pants and underwears uh, underwear and socks uh, office supplies you're going to need to buy pens and pencils and notebooks unless you're in technology in which you probably take all your notes on the computer or something so like by coming uh, coming up with a sensible default so let's say like for pens or whatever like oh i want a 0.4 millimeter sarasa dry every time like that's just going to be the pen i buy every time Uh, there's always going to be like some level of predictability to the quality of that product. You're always going to know how much it's going to cost and you already know where to acquire it because you're probably always going to acquire it at the same place. So all of that like greatly reduces the friction of getting a replacement to one of these product categories. And one of the things I really like about like this approach is if you do slowly look at all of these categories in your life and come up with sensible defaults, Uh, you can incrementally just increase your base comfort level by choosing better defaults to all of these categories. Uh, And better does not necessarily mean uh, like more expensive, although oftentimes it does mean that. Um, But just like, what if the t-shirts you buy every time you need a new t-shirt or something are in a material you don't prefer as much as another material, but you just buy it because you're doing it out of habit. Whereas if you just get the one with the better material you're going to be happier more often wearing those shirts than you would be if you buy the one with the crappy material um and another thing you can do with this idea of sensible defaults is you can incorporate your personal values into it so let's say like buying local or buying uh within your country is really important to you or uh you want to buy things that are made in a green way 
or even like you have dietary goals and you need to uh, reduce or eliminate certain uh, elements of your diet uh, for whatever reason. Uh, if you incorporate those personal values into your choices of sensible defaults, uh, you don't really have to think about it anymore. It's sort of already baked into your defaults and you can just like at least have that base foundation of defaults that are working towards those goals. So I don't know that 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 is one of my favorite like I don't know what to call this it's not really a design pattern but like one of these like conscious things that you can come up with as a consumer to sort of reduce friction and also like I- increase your base comfort in day-to-day life I think. Mhm. No those are good points and while you were explaining them uh first of all I was not uh, to answer your original question I was not aware of that concept which makes sense I've been uh hearing a lot of uh tech nerds on podcast saying like hey i always buy let's say socks from this place uh not on ads sometimes on ads too <laughs> uh but like it seems to be a concept that pe- a lot of people are applying and it fe- i think it naturally fits with also what more as i'm saying is trusted sources but i also feel trusted voices and i think i want to end this section on that is when i do my research yes i'll say i'll go water cutter but if i'm able to find a journalist I really like when they do reviews of a specific categories, I would tend to follow them just naturally to see their passion on this and be like, in the end, I know that I'm possibly making a good decision and making a decision that fits my needs, but also I don't need to spend the mental energy because I have this friend's nerd that is not a friend, but just somebody randomly on the internet that I know there are nerds about this topic. So they can spend the mental energy for me and I can just use this, their outcome. And surprisingly enough, there's a lot of that in, uh, in tech. There's a lot of that in cars. There's a lot of that in every fashion of your life. There's going to be somebody that will nerd out about socks. So find this person and stay up to date with what they do because then you can also put that as kind of a sensible default. It's not a sensible default, it's a sensible voice about those products in your life. None of those sock lovers are reviewing my grandma's homemade socks though. That, uh, uh, oh, that's that's a different category. Maybe your grandma should provide them with some review units. This podcast sponsored by my grandma's <laughs> socks. <laughs> or I would say half of this podcast because I never received my half of the so- that sponsor. Okay, I'll get to work <laughs> on that. Good then. Are you ready to start with our purchases that sparks joy? Sure. Good. So my number two. So Yannick and I will have each uh, a top two. So my number two is the Instant Pot Six Quarters Duo Evo Plus. So um, while I am on the rarer side of a person that does cook, I did see that as a big game changer. So uh, Tony was pushing us to buy a smaller version uh, by a different model a while back which it was the instant pot duo three quarters so it's a bit smaller uh so the instant pot is a pressure cooker uh there are different type of people on the internet and in life there's the sous vide people there's the slow cooker people there's <laughs> the pressure cooker people tonight is not a discussion about that it's a discussion about the fact that for years, even Yannick, uh, Tony and I were a lot of, a really big proponent of, we really enjoy making food using uh, slow cooker. Uh, but of course, now that we stopped finishing studying and we're on the 
and who are working, we have less time to prepare things uh, that takes literally eight hours to cook. While it isn't nice, uh, that takes a lot of time. And the magic part of what we liked about the Instant Pot and what I do like is cooking meat that is super tender, you, that takes eight hours, now takes 30 minutes. And you get more or less the same results. Uh, so for about the $100, $115 Canadian, like this product is super versatile. Uh, you decide to that tonight you want to cook this big beef uh, slab and it usually takes an hour or two in or even like an hour or two in this a normal oven and a couple of hours in a slow cooker. It can be within the next 30 minutes. Um, and from that point, it has been a big lifesaver, a time saver for that. And also we do a lot of things. Uh, Tony boil eggs in that, cook rice because one of the purchases not in this list is a rice cooker. We need to buy that because uh, we eat a lot of rice. Uh, mm. But sadly, we haven't made that big purchase yet. I've got uh, a recommendation for you. Uh, I know that was kind of a teaser for your part. But overall... Uh, we do enjoy the versatility of this product. Uh, it has been a new really uh, tool. We like we bought the bigger version so we can make uh, lunches now and a lot of more big portions because the the three quarts was really ideal for a couple. But you would end up with like you would do your done your dinner and then that was enough food for your dinner. Uh, and Tony's in a good habit of making a lot of food when he cooks so uh, we recently switched uh, after seeing a good deal on Amazon uh, for this one during the holiday season and switching to a bigger model which at the same time meant we also uh, went to a more fancy model from my understanding a lot of the nice things with the model we have is now the the inner pot as endos to make it uh, easier to grab uh, I think there's a bit more fancy uh, options on it but on top of cooking a lot of meat into it we've uh tony made uh tony made yogurt uh in it which was surprising uh i, was, I, I didn't <laughs> know you could do that but it was really uh good question mark, uh, i made I, a actually? cheesecake in my rice cooker this week so we're we're all doing weird shit over yeah, here yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it, those type of tools like you buy them even the slow cooker i recall when we bought them years ago uh, you always find those recipes that's like, oh, you know, you now have a good slow cooker. You didn't know you could do X in it. Yeah. And I think uh, a, a tool like the Instant Pot is a great tool for that. My small caveat about pressure cooker, I don't want to hear about it. Like, I don't care if something is better. You can share, like, say, like, oh, sous vide is better and blah, blah, blah. I don't really care about that. I want to hear if you have trips, th tips or tricks about pressure cooking or like you really enjoy sous vide for example for x and y reasons but i don't want this to become a fight on my twitter about that so i enjoy the instant pot i know there's a lot of like divergence of people but uh, overall i think it's been a great improvement in our kitchen see the the reason you don't like sous vide is because you're not married yet because this is a pattern that huh? I've noticed amongst a lot of people. Okay. It's like, okay, you get married and then you buy the sous vide machine and then you get a dog. It's like, it's the progression after you get married. Like that's, that's how it's been rolling out throughout like the people I know in their 
30s or late 20s right now is that is the exact progression everyone's going through including some of our listeners i must say <laughs> okay okay uh we nearly got a dog recently but uh, that has been delayed uh, it's kind but... of like when all of our friends who were are uh, who had divorced parents were all getting wheeze it's like one of those weird coincidences <laughs> that showed up in everyone's life <laughs> it's like why did the, the divorced parent kids all have wheeze and everyone else doesn't it's because probably they have twice as many parents to go wait in line at the Toys R Us. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like your life uh, comparisons. That's good. Yes. So that's my number two. What's your number two, Yannick? Okay, so you thought that my rice cooker was going to be on this list, but it's not, actually. Oh, <laughs> so really? Too bad oh, for you, you. You teased that to me, though, this week. I gave you a list of, like, five things, so I oh. didn't tell you which of them I was choosing. Fair um, point, fair point. L- luckily for you, this product is by the same company as the rice cooker. Uh, so my first product is a Zojirushi SMKHE36 stainless steel travel mug. It is a 360 milliliter or 12 fluid ounces travel mug in stainless steel. Uh, there is also a 480 milliliter model, uh, which is the KHE48, I think. And it is incredibly good at keeping liquids hot or cold over multiple hours. Um, I believe this is the wire cutter best one, but I did not find out about it from the wire cutter. Uh, I actually found out about it from Marco Arment, a friend of the show who (laughs) hosts ATP. And um, I've always had a curiosity for Japanese travel mugs. Uh, because from spending a lot of time in Japanese department stores, I know that they have like this huge department in Japanese de- uh, department stores just for travel mugs. And there are like hundreds of them. Really? Uh, huh. Yes, there are so many. And I believe the reason that they have so many is because, uh, especially if you are in elementary school, I believe you are required to have them uh, like it's just much more ingrained into Japanese culture to have travel mugs all the time. Hmm. And one of the things I noticed over time is that Japanese travel mugs are much more visually appealing than their Western counterparts. They are lighter. They are much less bulky. And I never quite understood why. Um, And I, I really don't get it. Like the Japanese products are just so much better than the Western products. And it makes no sense why it's that way. Uh, Like if you try to buy these Japanese bottles in the West, they often come at significant markups because they know they're better than everything else that's sold here. It's like fucking crazy. Uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a video from the life where I'm from YouTube channel, uh, where this guy basically bought every thermos and travel mug he could buy in Japan, and then compared it to all of the ones he could get from North America. Uh, and you just see, like, the Japanese ones are much more effective at keeping things cold, hot or cold than the Western ones. And they're significantly lighter and much more visually appealing. And you're like, well, why would anyone buy the Western ones? Um, and yeah, so the, one of the leading brands in the business of these uh, travel mugs and insulated stuff is Zojirushi, which I know from my excellent Japanese rice cooker. Uh I will have a little tangent about it because we've already mentioned it. So like, fuck it. I'll just go ahead and talk (laughs) about it. Uh, In the early 2010s, the Apple and Mac community kind of discovered that Japanese rice cookers are the shit. Uh, (laughs) 
And I don't think there's anything particularly special about the engineering of Japanese rice cookers versus other rice cookers, uh, much to Japanese rice cooker makers' chagrin. Um, I think it's just that the entire... Everything is just made in such a way that makes it incredibly easy to create a consistent level of high-quality rice, which is not the case for cheaper rice cookers where basically nothing is labeled and you are expected to measure things perfectly every time, whereas the Zojirushi uh, rice cookers, there are lines printed directly in the, in the rice cooker container or whatever that tell you where to put the water so it is perfect every time. You have the scoop where you scoop it to be perfectly level on top, and it is perfect every time. Like, it is very hard to fuck up rice in a Zojirushi rice cooker. Um, And, like, there are bonus features. Like, I have mine that has a timer, so very often I'll come home... Well, normally when I would come home from work, I would come home to done rice, like, freshly made rice. Uh, because you, you can just set it on a timer and you can use it to steam vegetables and to make cheesecake or whatever. It's like fantastic. So so yeah, I, I knew of Zojirushi because I own this rice cooker. I had originally gotten it for my parents uh, as a Christmas present. And then later on, they got onto the keto diet and basically they stopped eating rice. So they gave it to me when I moved out and like the, that's why I have it now. Um, I, it, had they not given it to me, I would have purchased exactly the same one, uh, because it's really, really good. And I eat a lot of rice and I, I think I have sold at least one or two of them to our listeners. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, it highly recommended. Um, but this is not about the rice cooker. Uh, <laughs> the important thing though, is that rice cookers use the same vacuum insulation technology that these travel mugs use. So oh. I had a lot of trust in their execution because it's effectively like a giant, thermos thing that keeps it warm inside the the rice cooker chamber um so yeah like i I knew they weren't going to fuck up the insulation part because the rice cooker works great every time and it's very consistent uh it's also a really easy to clean uh bottle one of the things that i really appreciate about it and i didn't actually realize it until after i bought it is that uh if i use like a normal standard coffee cup like i have right here which has like the the wide open top or whatever uh i drink coffee way too fast if i have those and uh, the problem is i will just go back and make more coffee and then i will drink (laughs) a dangerous amount of coffee if i just do that all day especially working from home where i don't feel bad about like costing the company money every time i take coffee uh yeah that would be a problem uh so the travel mug is really useful for limiting my coffee intake because it's just like i don't know what the mental block is like because the mouth of the container is smaller or whatever it makes me likelier to sip on the coffee over a long period of time than taking big gulps and it extends the lifespan in super big air quotes of a cup of coffee uh, by probably 60 to 90 minutes for me uh, which means i over the span of a day, I drink a lot less coffee. I just make it stretch it out over a longer time, uh, which is probably great for everyone who has to deal with me uh, because <laughs> when I'm super caffeinated, I'm a pain in the ass. Uh, not that I'm not a pain in the ass normally, but... Um, yeah, it's just a different level, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that that's my first product. I really love it. I highly recommend it. Uh, I wish I was getting... well. Uh, to some degree, I use it a lot every day anyway because I drink a lot of coffee every day as well. But uh, I miss being able to use this to go to work and on the bus. But uh, it, it's still useful even if I'm working from home. 
your second product is a good transition to my first product because I'll be talking about coffee again, surprisingly enough. Um, I had a feeling. Yeah. Um, I think before I introduce the product, I need to go on a small tangent about me and coffee. Uh, I think throughout the years, I kind of like coffee has been to me um, the type of thing in life where I just say the more you consume it, the better you start enjoying it or you start to enjoy it. But uh, I've never been a big coffee person, especially compared to Tony again. Uh, but throughout the years, I kind of discovered that the reason why I wasn't a big coffee fan is I utterly dislike drip coffee. Hmm. So, uh, but again, uh, I can drink an espresso. Uh, I can, I strongly enjoy lattes. Uh, lattes. So I kind of like finding my niche. And this really started a lot uh, at work, because we always had a fancy machine at work that could produce <laughs> such things easily and not just have drip coffee. Um, and in the more recent years, uh, as having Tony as kind of a somebody that enjoys coffees greatly, I think at the same level as you, like he would drink multiple coffees every day. Uh, we always had the discussion of buying a nice espresso machine for our place, uh, knowing that Throughout the years, I'm more more or less enjoying lattes, and I want to make sure that I have a great ma- a great machine to make them, and uh, not having a drip coffee machine, and that you also have a machine to remind him his time when he worked at Starbucks because he a likes coffee and he was really enjoyed the fancy, uh, nice, expensive, special machine that Starbucks has. Even if you might not like Starbucks, from what I've got told, they have great machines. Clover uh, machines, right? That's a good question. I don't even know. I think they bought Clover, which was like the best espresso machine brand. Really? Oh, I think you could ask Tony after the episode. Uh, You might know better than I do. But again, uh, great machines from what I've got told. So uh, for a long time, we're like kind of uh, pushing this purchase off. For sure, for me, I was able to like when I was able to go to work, we used to have uh, Jura coffee machines uh, at work that are like, I think for purists, a nice, but a bit too nice because like even if they're making espressos, they're like full automatic. You press a button and it does everything. Um, but at a level where uh, they're still making good coffee, even the recent ones, bef- just before the office shuts down, they were make- starting to be a bit more commercial. So uh, not that the quality, but they were less, I guess, they were less great, but they were still like, they've got, let me tell you, they've got a lot of feedback about those uh, lesser coffee machines that they <laughs> had to kind of figure it out. Let's put it this way, because people were more uh, uh, coffee snobs than I, I was, uh, which more or less meaning not going to the office. It's kind of like I was missing that and not even going to a cafe to get a, a latte ended up with us trying to buy a machine of our own, especially with the condo. We have now more space to have one. And uh, we ended up buying the Breville, the Barista Touch in a black truffle a stainless steel. Uh, the main reason why it's important to say all those words is because Breville has different layers of machines. And in the Barista layer, you have three models, the Express, the uh, Touch, and the Barista Pro. And... Uh, the main difference are follows. Um, the Pro is kind of considered the one with the dial. So 
you have a screen that tells you like, okay, you want to grind for like maybe 15 seconds at this setting on the grinder. Plus you want to, uh, you want to put uh, your basket for like 25 seconds on the water where you put pressure for 25 seconds and then you want to latte you want to form your milk at like 150 degrees and for until it's there or for like 20 seconds stuff like that so it was like you play with knobs and a small kind of lcd or not lcd but like the, i always forgot the name of the one that is uh the nine uh the nine parts I think it's technically still an LCD. It's just okay. a really shitty one. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. Uh, I always remember. What, I'm always clicking in this on the on the name for this type of displays, and it's always on the podcast, so it's funny. Um, but yeah, so on those LCD displays, the main reason I want to want to use LCD is because the touch one has a full color LCD, uh, which made those settings a bit easier to use. And surprisingly enough, for kind of a, a touch screen on on a non-touchscreen device, let's put it this way, on a machine you would not expect or not even want a touchscreen, the interface and the usage of it, even if it's, I think, 10, 15 centimeter wide, uh, is quite surprising. Uh, we've been having the machine for the last six months and I was reading the views and people say like, the touchscreen is surprising. And we decided to we were uh, really waffling between the Barista Pro, which is still, again, the one with the knobs, but with a better grinder. I think uh, the uh, the um, eating element in it was better than the Express. Uh, it was, a, excuse me, the Barista Pro had the LCD non-color screen, and then the Express only has gauges. That was like, okay, you put it at this pressure or at this time. So we felt that it was either the touch and the pro, but we felt that because I'm a noob in this, uh, it was better to go with the pro and uh, the touch, uh, excuse me, with the barista touch. And it had enough flexibility for somebody like Tony, if you wanted to go full on manual, that you can still do it. What's interesting compared to the machine it was used at work from the Jura lineup, uh, excuse me, the Jura manufacturer, is that they are full automatic. And you can find a lot of places, you can go to Italian coffee places here in Montreal, uh, where when you spend maybe three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, you press a button and it does everything. Or it's more kind of the types of machine at four, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 again, that are more like the ones you will find in a cafe, which you need to do everything, but you need to uh, to master a lot of things. So I we always felt that the Barista, and even now after using it for six months, that it was a, a great mix. It's not something that is fully automatic, so you need to uh, you need to press your coffee, you need to put it in a grinder, and then you need to do all those steps. But it is helping you along the way uh, by like by with the screen interface enough for somebody like me that yes, maybe the first month I was lost and I was making shitty, shitty lattes, but I think after a couple of uh, after a couple of months and after uh, after throwing out a couple of coffees, I'm getting way better and I'm improving uh, my uh, my understanding of the coffee making process, which seems to be an art. Uh, so overall, what I like with this machine is a for me that wants to get better at making coffee. It's helping me. Also, it's really easy to use. And surprisingly enough, for like a touchscreen interface, it is quite nice. Uh, and it is worth saying, like, over time, we'll have to see what will happen. But at this point, the 
touch interface is quite nice. On top of that, I've already had one problem with it. It's not a big one, but that was a way to experience Brivel's customer service. So again, it could be because of user error and a lot of things, but we ended up breaking our single shot double wall basket. So the way they, those are formed with the Brivel machine is the second wall is another metal element, uh, metal part that is pressed. And I don't know what happened, but one day I was emptying the, the basket and uh, the second part literally felt with the coffee buck. <laughs> uh, so I was like, uh, uh, whoops. And when I called, so super fun. Uh, I think my main issue with Preville's customer service was to get the parts, even if they're surprisingly enough, they are in Montreal. Uh, so their French customer support for Canada is in Montreal. Uh, getting the part took a bit of time. I think it took maybe 10 days. And of course it was a bit after the holiday season so we could blame it on the postal system but even like to for them to ship it after my call i was super like it was surprisingly long but again we're used to amazon these days we're used to apple shipping and stuff like that we're used to people ship better but calling in uh and getting the the basket replaced was really a breeze you call give you a certain number <laughs> even the lady on the phone was like excuse me sir you broke the double wall baskets like <laughs> I don't know. Like I just emptied my coffee and it it separated and then even explained it. Yeah, even explaining to her what happened that the two pieces separated. She was like, "What? They separated?" I was like, "Yeah, okay. I, I'm happy to hear that. This is weird." And again, this they shipped out a replacement play uh, a replacement piece, and we've been using it. But again, this is one of the things I've learned that to make a better espresso. People strongly suggest that you always use your double shot uh, basket and not your single shot because more it's what I've got told. Thank you for another show, Chuck Snyder, uh, that you get more coffee, but it gives you more or less the same amount of water in the end or same amount of espresso. Uh, but because there's more coffee, there's more flavor and stuff like that. So again, I'm still in through my journey of becoming a coffee snob, if you can say so. And it is still a long journey, but it is, I started with this machine, which, uh, also is making me uh, drink way more coffee than I used to be. So for the <laughs> price that it costs, I think I'm getting better but i might be developing an addiction to call not an addiction i'm exaggerating a bit but uh yes yeah, so sometimes i'm, like, I'm the oh. one with the addiction here <laughs> you know but sometimes like hmm today i didn't have a coffee maybe i should get a coffee i'm like mm, oh no no no. let's skip a day it's okay it's not that skipping days oh my god <laughs> see see <laughs> but i'm getting conscious that sometimes i'm like oh I haven't a coffee today. I need to have a coffee. So I need to be a bit more careful. But uh, it is surprisingly enough how having a nice uh, espresso machine at home is like life changer, especially if you enjoy espressos. If you actually want to educate yourself a bit more about uh, espresso and coffee stuff, I would greatly recommend James Hoffman's uh, YouTube channel if you don't follow it already. He uh, was nope. the world barista cha- champion in 2007, and he basically became a YouTuber who does a bunch of espresso and coffee-related reviews and also hmm. just general education videos, which are really uh, interesting. And in the last year, I've been watching a lot of his videos, and I've learned a lot about coffee. So, it, it, It's funny because... Um... Like while trying different beans, uh, we figured out that the president's choice 
espresso beans that we buy at uh, our uh, Provigo store here uh, in Quebec. I think we've kind of found it in the other places that sells President's Choice in Canada. Um, like we, it's I think it's like sixteen dollars for one kilo. It's like quite cheap for beans, but we enjoy the coffee. So, but every couple of <laughs> weeks, I'm like, you know what, the bag is about to be empty. Maybe we should spend more for like fancy beans. And I, that's why I'm like, I hear all those like. People like listen to their podcasts or friends that they are coffee nerds and they're like, yeah, you need to buy more beans. You need to buy like you need to iron select your beans and stuff like that. So, yeah, they are slowly but slowly or there are years of trying to send their message through podcasts to conversation is slowly but surely getting out of my brain and influencing our decision. But every week to me, it's like, no, no, I like this coffee. So we're buying it again. I'm like, okay, sure, sure. <laughs> nice. And that is my number one. So I'll put uh, links in the show notes about those places. Uh, again, uh, funny enough, I bought the touch. Colleagues at work also bought the Barista Express, and he sent like he shared with me his feedback and great machines. More or less, it depends if you want to have a touchscreen when you press on a button and then your settings are saved versus a machine that you need to adjust every time. But it seems that the people I've uh, that the people I know that got the Brevilles uh, are pretty. Uh, liking it they are really happy with their purchase and also if you want to spend a bit more money than around a thousand dollars uh mine is usually 1500 but i got it for 1200 uh, uh during the holiday season uh i there is the uh the breville oracle which is the next lineup on top which this brings a bit more of those automatic behavior where you press a button and then it would do more i think it would grind the coffee tap it correctly for you then you can move uh, the basket to the pressure zone and then that would do that part and I think it automatically does milk foaming too so uh, the more you spend money I think I've started to slowly discover that th- these days the more you get automatic things happens for you and I'm slowly but surely thinking that maybe that's, that's not what I want maybe when this machine breaks in 5 years and 10 years when we want to change it and maybe you just spend more money to get the fancier one that is manual and everything who knows <laughs> what's it in, what's your number one purchase Yannick? so this might shock you because i don't think we've really talked about this um category very much since the start of the of the show and that is the adidas Aero ready three stripes cold weather knit hoodie oh huh, no we mainly talk about food and <laughs> food products food products and uh kitchen stuff and now we're going into clothing so this is my favorite piece of clothing that i've owned in a really really long time it is what i wear outside when the temperature is between minus 10 and 10 degrees celsius like today uh like today yeah it was two degrees today um and i guess something to know about me is that in general my priorities for clothing are kind of weird uh My top three priorities for clothing are agility, fabric, and ease of packing. Uh, So agility in this case sort of refers to uh, how quickly can I go? I'm a very fast walker. Uh, This pisses off everyone I ever walk with because I walk too fast and I am not good at dealing with slow walkers and almost everyone is a slow walker for me. So that is not good. Um, But yeah, I, I don't like to feel like my clothing is weighing me down. I like to be able to walk as fast as I, as I want to. And yeah, that's more or less what it, it's like. I, I like thin clothing that don't weigh a lot, more or less, is the is the thing. I don't want to be like in this huge bubble of clothing. Um, fabric, 
I've been trying in recent years to get more and more of my wardrobe over to synthetic fabrics. And the reason for this is that the apartment that I'm in right now, uh, our dryer in our laundry room is kind of bad at any at drying anything that is not synthetic uh, reliably. So I just want to get everything that's synthetic so I don't have to worry about the dryer being bad. Um, and ease of packing, because I usually travel places, uh, maybe less so now, uh, and having things that pack down to a small size and that are relatively light uh, is greatly appreciated because that means I get to bring back more video games on my trips. <laughs> so all, uh, those are more or less my clothing priorities. And I, I will say like ease of packing is in there because I don't have separate clothes for when I'm traveling and when I'm at home. It's just kind of the same stuff. You, you do say that, but I recall you talking about packing and traveling before you started to go to Japan and yeah. you always like to travel late. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated with traveling light and it's it's an optimization challenge more than anything. It like <laughs> why fucks I... around with that part of my brain. Yeah, so why am I not surprised about that? Yeah. Um people who have known me, especially while traveling since twenty thirteen, know that like I have a trademark piece of clothing, uh, which I've recently retired because I've gotten this new uh hoodie. Uh it was a bright yellow fleece jacket from MEC. Oh no, it's that's getting replaced? Yes. Oh, no. Okay, I'm disappointed now. I'm retiring it after eight years. Uh, it's been in like every photo of me in Japan ever. Uh, yeah, I, I've worn that thing a lot. I, I think I thought it was time for some change, uh, namely because like the fabric wasn't within like the fabrics that I wanted and it was a little bit more more heavy than I would have liked uh, for everything. Uh, so I, I was just like, I need to find a replacement for this. Uh, and of course I got influenced by VTubers because that's what happens. So, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite VTubers has a design that's inspired by the Adidas three stripe branding. Uh, she's a white tiger and she has, she's basically wearing an Adidas top, except it has an extra stripe on the left to make it legally distinct. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. And then there are like two other VTubers who just like bought Adidas entire wardrobe. So I got, was influenced by them. And to be perfectly honest, like the three sti stripes Adidas branding and aesthetic is pretty genius, timeless design. Like it, it looks good in photos from the nineties. It looks good in photos from today. It, it just always looked good. It's kind of genius. It's surprisingly right. What you're saying. I was looking at, I think it was a couple of days ago. It was, I think it was on, Tony's TikTok account and he was just swiping and I was like looking at somebody somebody was talking and they were wearing a lot of Adidas clothes I was like they look like they came from the 80s but not as like it's a compliment not an insult mm -hmm. if you see what I mean it's like but it looks new and everything and it's weird how they are able to find and again I'm super bad at clothes styling and everything but uh, it's it is weird how good they are at being timeless and still being relevant at the same time. Yeah. I, I just like, the more I saw the products, I was like, okay, these guys know what they're doing with <laughs> uh, like keeping their look consistent across all of these eras, mm -hmm. but also like staying relevant. Um, so I found this, like uh, the arrow ready three stripes, cold weather knit hoodie. Uh, it was yellow. 
which is great because it means that I retain my high visibility brand. Uh, whenever good. people have to look for me, I'm just like, look for yellow and then look for the guy who's wearing the yellow that is not Japanese. And that is <laughs> kind of the easiest way to find me. Um I think that the shade of yellow uh, for this knit hoodie is a much nicer shade than the one that I had previously. Um, it's polyester-based synthetic fabric, re recycled polyester. It fits within my preferred choices for like synthetic fabric and all of that stuff. And it is, at least visibly, it seemed to be much lighter and packed down more densely than the fleece jacket I had, which was true. Uh, so yeah, th this is fantastic. Uh, one of the things that I learned in college, one of the few things I learned in college, uh, oh. during my, <laughs> during my Nordic walking class of all things is, uh, how layering clothes can just be an a really easy way to stay warm instead of wearing a coat, which is why I have not really worn my coat much this winter. Uh, and this has been like something I've been trying to do is like optimize out the coat for a long time uh, from my rotation of clothing. Uh, I'm not quite there because there are still really cold days, uh, but there have been a lot less of them this year. Uh, and yeah, with smart layering, you can just forget about the coat, which is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And I'm happy that I can do it now with this. Now I get to the satin use and to my sort of uh, realization about this. So... Unfortunately, the entire product line of Aero Ready Three Stripes products got discontinued. Uh-oh. And this happened when I was in the middle of ordering new clothes for my wardrobe. Because last year, I lost a bunch of weight. And I sized down to a medium. And it meant that I spent much of last year floating in my clothes. Uh which was a problem and everyone was telling me you should go buy new clothes you should go buy new clothes but i don't want to go buy clothes in person so i had to do the uh, the terrible thing and buy clothes online uh so since i had already ordered this hoodie from adidas and i was like oh medium i'm a medium now i was like now i can safely buy anything that's medium on adidas.ca and know that it'll fit me so i was in the process of buying clothes for my wardrobe and all of that stuff in this three stripes line and I woke up one day and my entire wish list got discontinued overnight. Uh, so, so that really sucked. And what I'm trying to get at is product seasonality sucks. <laughs> uh, this is only really an issue with like fashion sh sportswear instead of utilitarian sportswear. So what do I mean by that? Well, uh, another brand that I really enjoy uh, the clothing from is Patagonia. And Patagonia mm. is what I would qual qualify as utilitarian sportswear. The majority of their product portfolio is evergreen. Uh, and while the availability of stock may fluctuate from season to season, you rarely see them discontinue a product out of nowhere or make products that are available for a single season and then never again. If they do that, which I, I don't think Patagonia really does, I think uh, Columbia does this a bit more, uh, it'll be like clearly distinguished because it's more of a fashion product than a piece of gear like a piece of gear that you would bring on an adventure versus a fashion product like you can usually tell that distinction um but adidas kind of really falls in that fashion sportswear where they are doing seasonal products to stay up with the look even though the look is kind of timeless and doesn't really change except in minor ways um so there are kind of three different cases uh well first of all what i've established is that for adidas there are basically like two things that never actually get discontinued 
there are everything in the essentials line of products, which is just like, these are the evergreen Adidas products. Unfortunately, I don't really like most of them. Uh, then there's the Addy Color uh, tracksuit, which is just like their most popular tracksuit they sell. Uh, it's the one that all the celebrities wear. Like, that yeah, thing is evergreen. It's the one that they, they've been known for for years. Yeah, it, it's the one you see in all the pictures of anybody famous wear, wearing them. They're wearing an Addy Color. Um, so those are the products that are evergreen. More or less everything else falls into like one of three scenarios. So the best case scenario is... The product will stay available, but color availability may become more limited. So this is what happened to the shirts I was buying. Uh, I, I was buying a bunch of Arrow Ready uh, three, three Stripes t-shirts. And there were like two colors left that I wanted to pick up to fill out my wardrobe. Uh, now those colors don't exist anymore. They, the product effectively only exists in black, white, and one shade of dark blue. I was going to buy the other shade of dark blue, but it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so congrats. Now you've basically just eliminated all the colors that I don't already own. So there's no point in me, but I mean, I guess I can buy more of them, but I wanted to have more colors. So that, that kind of sucks. Uh, the average case, which is what a lot of these, uh, seem to have been in is the product gets discontinued at the end of the season, but something more or less equivalent but slightly visually different will take its place. Uh, this is starting to roll out for some of the products that I had on my wish list, where uh, like instead of having the stripes go up and down the sides of your body, well, they're on the sh uh, they're on the sleeves now, and it's like okay, it's fundamentally the same product except the stripes change places. Like that's more or less like the kind of seasonal change you can expect for most of these products. Um, but the material is still the same and all of that stuff. Right. It is mainly to show off that you've got the latest Adidas thing, right? And we can yeah. talk about uh, that. Unfortunately for me, like this season's look is not as, look as nice as last season's look. But hey, I'll deal with it. Uh, and then the worst case scenario, which is what happened to my favorite pants, uh, <laughs> is that the product will be discontinued entirely with no direct replacement. So I had the Error Ready Three Stripes pants, and these pants are fantastic. Uh, I wanted to buy some more pairs of it. Uh, they are extremely thin. Uh, they're bordering, but not quite tights. Uh, they're just like just enough to be called pants, basically. And uh, these are fantastic for travel because they are incredibly light and they pack down to basically nothing. And I wanted to buy these more or less as travel pants. Uh, can't find anything vaguely resembling this. Uh, I think I found something that might be the same minus the stripe branding. And like, honestly, that would be fine. Except the thing is like, you have to figure this shit out on your own because it's very hard from pictures on a website to determine anything about the thickness of pants uh, when someone is wearing them. Like, it's not like you can go to the store and feel them. No, you're looking at pictures. Uh, and unfortunately, like, the reviews are not in a position to tell you, oh, yeah, this is like the Arrow Ready Three Stripes pants because maybe they don't own them. Uh, if I owned a pair of these pants, I would be able to tell you, but I'm trying to figure that out before buying them, and it's not quite easy. So, and and the thing that kind of sucks is like right now is the perf is the like the worst time to be buying uh, stuff on Adidas.ca because we're in this like seasonal limbo where the discontinued products are sold out, but the replacement products haven't all been announced. They're rolling them out like every couple days, so 
as much as I don't want to be thinking about buying clothes right now, I'm checking adidas.ca every couple of days to see if they have <laughs> replacements for the things that were on my wish list, uh, which I guess keeps me visiting. Um, but I, I kind of wish I didn't have to deal with any of that and they just had more evergreen products on their lineup. And that's kind of what you deal with when you're dealing in the world of fashion and I'm going to have mm-hmm. to get used to it. Uh, but that said, like, if you can find one of these hoodies, I highly recommend it. And I, it, I love it to death. Uh, and it is kind of what indoctrinated me into this Adidas uh, cult or whatever. And now it's like, I just wear Adidas clothing every all every day because it's all I own now that fits me correctly. No, that's good. And I think one of the points you said that when you... F- I- one of the points that relates to your experience is literally what I said about uh, the Apple Watch bands. And I try to say that to myself too, is when I find something that I like this season, buy it now because it won't come back, sadly. Or if it's a color you like, buy it now because it might get discontinued because it's no longer fashion for this year. Yeah, and like the tricky thing for, for me is with someone who has a birthday in April, like I can't put these watch bands or whatever that I'm interested in on my wish list because chances are like by the time it's my birthday, they'll be discontinued right. <laughs> because the March change will have happened already. <laughs> and it's just like this. Well, you sort of have to buy it for yourself if you're interested or deal with it. Uh, so yeah, th- that kind of sucks. But like, I, I think it's, it's kind of sucky. I understand like from a business perspective, why they do this uh, cultivating a FOMO culture for their clothing. Uh, and like, I, they're like, I'm very lucky that I don't care very much about shoes because the entire shoe part of Adidas is fucking crazy. <laughs> like I have the app installed and they have like an entire tab, which is just like pre-order the latest shoes. And like, here's really? a countdown clock until you can pre-order the shoes. And oh, you're this tier of the loyalty program. You get to buy shoes in advance. And I'm like, oh, I don't fucking wow. care about shoes. Wow. I mean, I, I will eventually have to buy another pair of shoes because for some reason shoes don't last more than a year with me. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm going to buy extremely fashionable shoes just to have them ruined after a year. <laughs> it's funny because shoe people, I'm sure shoe people will be pissed that I'm making this comparison. When they talk about their passion about shoes, they sound to me like people that are passionate about watches, and I'm like, okay. Uh, like you buy like ten pair of shoes, you have two feet, you've been ten watches, you have two wrists, and it's like, oh no, no, but you don't understand. Like I need this one for this, or this one is super special. And I, okay, uh, that's great, that's great. I'm super happy for you that you're excited about this, but I'm not that type of person. See, I'm the kind of person where if I had like regular access to DDR, I would have DDR shoes. Yeah, but that's different though. Yeah, it's not like for fashion, although like I like I, I'm more sympathetic to the to the watch liker and the shoe liker uh thing. I'm just like I personally I would be far more interested in buying watches than I would be in buying shoes just because I think the watch design in general is more interesting than shoe design. Like for shoes I I need like maybe two different kinds of shoes and that's it. Oh, right. I think if I explain a bit about the comparison is I feel at some point those items are good for making a fashion, uh, a fashion statement, but to have a collection, that's where sometimes you lose me. But again, if it sparks, it's like 
if yeah if it sparks joy for you like that's great exactly go, go do you. and that's the goal of this episode this today is to talk about the things that are non-tech that spark drugs and watches are one yeah and like i i can totally like understand if you if you're coming up with a with like an outfit or something and you find a pair of shoes that fits really well with the outfit like that's great the problem is like when you have like 15 outfits like that you've made for yourself and you need to have the matching shoes for all of them like realistically how often are you going to wear each of those outfits to actually make the purchase of the shoes balance out um and like i i realize this is entirely analytical and i should probably put a link in the show notes to the thing i sent you the other day which is someone built a database of their wardrobe oh with yeah every single item of clothing in their wardrobe uh logged in there with every time they've worn it so they can calculate like per wear what the cost of wearing it is and like how like the return on investment on their clothing <laughs> and all of that stuff which is like that is incredibly nerdy spreadsheet shit that i love yes i recall reading it i was like that's so you yes i i even said that's so me when i sent it to you <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time i'm a little bit too lazy to do that and I try to only buy things that are going to be used anyway. So uh, I don't think there's much of a point in doing that for me. But yeah, so that that pretty much wraps it up for this product. Uh, I've fallen down the Adidas rat hole. And uh, so if you see me and I'm wearing all Adidas, please don't laugh. Uh, like Coco gets laughed at every time she goes to the Adidas store. That's a VTuber, by the way. I would have assumed it was uh, linking back to first. Uh, who I should probably find that clip because so so coco kiryu is like this uh she's from the south of the u.s but she moved to japan mm -hmm. and she has this very distinct voice and she apparently only has adidas clothing at all <laughs> and she often goes to the adidas store and the adidas store clerks laugh at her because she's wearing all adidas and her phone case is adidas and her wallet i think is adidas or whatever and like the people behind the counter just couldn't stop laughing at her Oh, that's good. That's good. You know, but yeah. what I was about to say is I'm not surprised that the examples you have are VTubers because you did say that the introduction to Adidas was through VTubers. Yep. That's pretty much the only people I see these days. <laughs> good. So I hope that uh, this week you enjoy a uh, discussion about non-tech purchases and the reason why they spark joy. Also, our tips and tricks about how to more or less become an expert in categories you don't want to be an expert and hopefully uh, be able to do less choice or more like smart choice or like without spending too much mental energy on them i think that was delegate the research process yeah i think that's the best way to say it and on that note yannick let's wrap it up Sure. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 156. You can also find all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. We are on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. I am at Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. -A, and you can find the good of you at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And in two weeks, we've got a banger for you. Mobile Payments Part 2. See you in two weeks. Woo!